Good evening. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God's Speaker Step Series. Let's have our jokester come up and throw us with a joke. Yeah, that was it. Hey, oh. No, I am Joey, the uh, honorary jokester of this group. Very grateful to be here. Um, we have a, um, I have a joke at a conference for literature. So, yeah, all right. Um, here we go. A husband and a wife were sitting in their living room. The wife said, just so you know, I never want to live in a vegetative state dependent upon a machine and some fluids from a bottle. If that ever happens, just pull the plug. Her husband got up, unplugged the TV, and threw out all of her beer. <laughs> Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices, like my little there and that. And all the noise, let's see, what's that say? Please turn off all devices that make noise that might well distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on this step study tonight. If you're ready, we'll begin. Enjoy your time with God.
light prayer God let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost sick and dying can find your love through me there is a solution from the big book page 17 the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution we have a way out of which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Parker to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 Steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Parker? spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. Uh, In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations through frequent are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist uh, William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself he, fin- he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alter- alteration in his reaction to life. That such a change could hardly have been brought about by seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few, few exceptions, our members find that they have taped an un- unsuspected inner resource or tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. 
Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual awareness or spiritual experience. Um, our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most em emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Our speaker tonight is quite inspirational. It's obvious that she walks with God. With her sixth session, please welcome Bobby R. Hello. Hello, hello. They don't give me a bottle today. This could be very dangerous. Should I get my straw? Hmm? That'd be weird. Okay. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Bobby, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm a member of the Sister Staying Sober Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm so truly grateful to be here today. We get to talk about step eight and nine. I love this meeting. I tell you guys that every time I come here, it's such a pleasure to come here. We do a little prayer on our knees before the meeting. I love that. Whoever thought about that, kudos to you. I know that somebody's probably in this room right now. Um, good job, buddy. I love it. This whole vibe is awesome. I'm going to miss you guys. i got two more weeks left. I'm lollygagging right now. Do you guys know what lollygagging is? Have we spoken about lollygagging at this meeting? Oh, we have. Okay, sorry. It's just my favorite word. I, I don't know why. I don't even know who taught me the word. I don't even know if I have the right definition of the word. But I don't know if I told you guys a story. I'm going to tell it to you anyways. Um, I use lollygagging a lot in my speech. My daughter is a toddler. So, I don't know, about six months ago, she's four, and um, I am rushing her into the car, and I said, come on, come on, you're lollygagging. And she says, I'm not lollygagging. I said, yeah, you are. I said, you don't even know what lollygagging means. She says, I do too. I said, well, what does it mean then? She says, it means that I'm taking too long. <laughs> So, I mean, I never told her that before, but I use it that much that she figured out what that means. So, yeah, I'm lollygagging. Um, we get to talk about hurting people today and breaking relationships and what it looks like to mend them. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Because I know you guys are in here still breaking relationships. If you're not, then you're cured. I do it all the time, and we're going to talk about the tediousness of what I'm referring to later. But um, when I got here, I had a lot of damage, as I'm sure all of you guys did. I'm not unique by any means. But a lot of the damage I had, I had yet become aware of. 
as crazy as that may seem. You know, I came into recovery November 21st, 2007, right? At that point in time in my life, I was 27, fairly young, right? But I had three kids already. I had a 10-year-old, a five-year-old, and a five-month-old when I walked through the doors of recovery. So already, right off the rip, you know somebody's life's been affected. When you start procreating and loving on that level and getting and receiving love in that type of a relationship, alcoholism is 100% going to spoil that relationship. Also, anybody who loves those children of yours are somehow going to be impacted by your behavior as their parent. That is also going to affect you. There, there was all kind. Forget about the, you know, the obvious. Did I hurt people in sense of robbing them? You know, cursing them out. You know, those things happen to all alcoholics. I don't care who you are. Whether you're robbing them, cash register robbing them, or robbing them of their time and their sanity. Which, by the way, I didn't identify those harms until much later. You know, the obvious stuff was obvious layers built upon me as after I had stepped into recovery deeper and deeper. And you know what the funny thing is, is I only recognize those deep level of harms that I caused as a result of God putting people into my life to act and behave as I did when I was out there drinking. Isn't that funny that you can't even identify some of the things that you have been doing yourself for decades until God put somebody in your life to behave like you? Insanity, how some of us have to learn. But hey, man, it keeps on coming. And the funny thing is, is that no matter how long you stay in recovery, more shall be revealed. Says that in our literature. We, we hear that time and time in meetings. More shall be revealed is such a deep, deep statement for me today. It's like an onion. I'm going to get cliche with you. We peel it off. We peel it off. It begins to hurt. We begin to cry over this onion. But the crazy thing is, is that underneath some of those layers, they pop out of nowhere, is some real deep-rooted stuff. You could be five years into your journey. You could be 10 years into your journey. You could be 15 years into your journey and more. And that one little layer that gets ripped off will reveal more. So let's talk about step eight and nine today. I heard it's a pretty critical step. Um, it says that we made a list of all people we had harmed and became willing to make an amends to them all, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so and injured them or others. That's the steps. Now I'd like to say that I'm going to go line for line with you out of the big book of 12 and 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm just not going to do that. You know, if you want to do that, you should get a book and read it. Get a sponsor, too, because I could never have dissected that book without somebody who had been there before. You know, it's critical that you do it. If you don't understand the book, you're not supposed to. It's like layers. More shall be revealed. Just keep doing it. Repetition develops lifestyle changes, and that's why we have components such as sponsorship, fellowship, meetings, and our own personal time in the literature, prayer, etc. All these things are going to say the same thing over and over again until they begin to make sense to you. So I'm going to tell you some really important facts 
that will debrief you on what's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We made a list. We made a list of all people and situations, environments, institutions that we had caused harm. And then we became willing to correct the broken relationship we caused. And if we were not willing, we prayed for the willingness. Because it says in our book that if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Period, point blank. That's a very good reason to do this step. This is the step. It states, if you skip this vital step, you may not overcome drinking. That's powerful. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really liking sobriety. I don't ever want to go back there again. Let me put ice in there for you. I told you it was going to get awkward. (laughs) So what I'm going to do is give you a lot of my story and how my amends were made. I wish I could tell you I was one of those people that wrote down a list and I I got like this wonderful strategic plan to knock out each person and, you know, order from least to worse or from worse to least or one of those. I know there's a lot of different people who will give you different scenarios like put down the I can make this amends right now or I can make this amends as soon as possible or I can make this amends never columns. You could do that. I, I even do it with some of the girls I sponsor and start that way, right? And the ones where we're like, no, never, because we don't want to, we pray for the willingness to because we don't want to skip this vital step. And then there's the kind that, well, we, we, we'd be willing, but it's impossible too, dot, dot, dot. And we develop this understanding of making an indirect amends, which we'll talk about later. So a lot of the biggest amends that I made on this journey were not because I placed a strategic plan on my agenda and knocked it off accordingly. It did not work like that for me. And it probably will not work like that for you in a lot of cases. Some of them will be very intentional, but a lot of them will not. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about that. So I believe that you get to step eight and nine. You've been doing the deal. You've been putting one foot in front of the other, trusting the process, believing that he can. You can't. You're going to let him. You're keep, you keep coming back. You got a commitment at an AA meeting somewhere. You haven't picked up any uh, form of alcohol in any way, shape, or form. You're exactly where you need to be. Now, God is going to begin to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. If you don't think you're capable or ready to do X, Y, and Z, be prepared. He's going to make you capable, and he's going to make you very willing to do it. And I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios. So first and foremost, uh, there was a, a girl on my fourth step, name unknown. Funny story, just one of those things. I was a parte animal. 
I don't know if you guys are party animals, but I was a party animal. I was the girl who always had the house that was identified as the party house. I was the girl who anybody that was a runaway lived there. I was that house everywhere I went. Even when I was homeless, living in an unscreened, screened-in patio and trailer park on Prospect in 441, I somehow managed to still be the party house. Right? I still own the party house now, by the way. So I'm at a party. We're having fun. A girl walks in, and she was very rude. But I had already told my best friend that day, no fighting. I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but every time I drank, I fought. Weirdest thing. Men, women, all shapes and sizes. I can get hurt, wouldn't feel a thing. I said, absolutely no fights. This particular party and this particular night is a person that works at my job, and I don't want any judgment from them. You know, it was a big deal. I worked in a phone room, you know. So we're not doing that. And she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. We won't do that. Girl walks in. As soon as she walks in, she walks in with her boyfriend, another girl, and the other girl's boyfriend. And I say, hey, welcome to the party. We're going to have so much fun tonight. Da -da 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 -da. My name's Bobby. What's your name? And she said, I kid you not, Tuffy. I said, your name is Tuffy? Like T-U-F-F-Y? And I look at my friend thinking to myself, is she trying me right now? <laughs> and I was just like, okay. Well, hello there, Tuffy. Welcome to the party. And I hear her boyfriend's name is Bebop. <laughs> Bebop and Tuffy. We're bringing back the old school Ninja Turtles at this point. And, um, but I thought it was interesting because I happened to be a person who identified as a very young kid as Bebop. In fact, I have a tattoo on my right ankle that I got when I was 11 years old from a homemade tattoo gun in the trailer park. And it says Bebop. It's still there today. I never covered that thing. Proof after the meeting. I said, that's so weird. Your name's Bebop. My name's Bebop. This is going to be a great night. She goes in. Long story short, I don't think about that girl for a couple of hours. We're having a good time in the back patio. She's conversating with my friend that made a promise that we wouldn't fight. Next thing you knew, I had a bottle in my hand. And I proceeded to knock her out with it. I don't even know why. Something happened, I'm sure. Instantly, I looked to my left and her boyfriends, by the way, who were very large, began to chase me. And I left, running down the street for my life. My friends left the party, picked me up, and that was the end of that story. I later found out that that girl looked for me all over town. She was going to beat me up, her and her boyfriends. I heard she got her head shaved, she had staples put in her head, so on and so forth. This was something that happens when you're drinking. It's a totally normal occurrence. I don't know why specifically that girl came to mind when I wrote my amends. It was like super long ago, but it was on there. This is how God works. Shortly after writing my inventory for my, my eighth step, Harms, to others, I'm at the 101 Club. Mind you, I'm living in a halfway house that literally saved my life. They took me with no money. 
They took me with not one single solitary personal belonging. They fed me, they put a roof over my head, and they never harassed me about rent. They literally saved my life. This woman became a big part of my recovery journey. She went to court for me. She advocated for me when it came to them saying they were going to terminate my rights as a mother here in the state of Florida to my third child, and they said they'd never give him back to me. She went to court, and she advocated for me. Uh, one day that um, I needed to go back to court because I was going every month at this point. She couldn't make it. She sent her daughter. Her daughter, who was not even a woman in recovery, came, and she advocated for me. It was great. It was beautiful. God put me in the right place at the right time with the right people that saved my life. Now, picture this. I'm at the 101 Club shortly after doing my eighth step, making a list, becoming willing. And I'm saying hi. I'm greeting at the door. It's my home group, Wednesday night, straight talk group. Welcome to the straight talk group. How you doing? Keep coming back. Works if you work it. And I see the woman that owns the halfway house's daughter, the one who was just recently at court with me, advocating to get my child back. And she says, hey, Bobby. I said, hey, how's it going? She said, good. Let me ask you a question. I said, yeah. She goes, where'd you get that tattoo on your ankle there? I said, oh, that? Oh, yeah, I had that since I was a little girl. Trailer Park got it when uh, you know, I was 11 years old. She goes, that's very interesting. She said, I've only met one girl in my whole entire life that had a tattoo on her ankle that said Bebop. I said, really? That's bizarre. <laughs> she said, yeah, it was about 10 years ago. I was at a party, and she cracked my head open with a beer bottle. And I said, oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> really? That could have been me. I proceeded to say, oh my God, can we talk? I literally just wrote your name down on an amends list and shared it with my sponsor. She said, I cannot believe that you were the girl that was at the party that did that to me. I said, I cannot believe it either. And she grabbed my arm and she ran me into the 101 club and her mom was in there and she shared it with her and, and her mom and they, they both laughed at me. And um, I was able to make an amends and to thank them from the bottom of my heart because they were the biggest reason I got my son back, by the way. What are the odds? At some random party, some random girl I've never met before ends up being a part of why I get my son back in my custody after being promised that that would never happen again. These the same, it ends up being the same girl. I would have never been able to make an amends to that girl. I didn't know her name. I didn't know what she looked like. I couldn't remember nothing about her. God is going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He is going to make it happen. Moving along. I'm doing well in my journey of recovery. And as you know, when you do well, you seem to acquire things in your life. And I was an habitual offender with my driver's license. They said I would have a five-year suspension. There was nothing I could do to get it back, yada, yada, yada. Some random thing came up in court one day that there was a special program for habitual offenders that have a suspended driver's license history. 
And they were opening it up for individuals such as myself. You would have to do all this extensive probation down at the Deerfield Beach Courthouse twice a week, pay all these fines, but you could get your driver's license back. I was like, that's me. And um, so I did the deal and I finally got that piece of paper that said that I passed and I could take it down to the DMV and work it out. And I um, got down to the DMV. I was so excited. I hadn't had a driver's license in a very long time, let alone a vehicle. And I handed the lady at the DMV this piece of paper and I said, I'm here to get my driver's license. And she you know, looked up my information and she says, we see that you're, you know, this has been released, but unfortunately you have a, like, I forget the word, but it was like a permanent suspension on your driver's license. I said, for what? She says, well, apparently you owe a large amount of child support money. And I was like, get out of here. Me? <laughs> Son of a... Of course, you know where my head goes. Oh, well, all the years that I had custody of my daughter never once took him to child support. Now he's got her, and he goes right down to the child support office and claims this report on me, and now I have to pay, and now I owe all this money, and I'm kicking and screaming, and I'm on the city bus, and I'm pissed. God, I can't get my job. I'm over here trying to get my life right. I'm trying to take care of this little boy. They're going to give me custody of him again. I'm trying to be a productive member of society. I've been sober for nine months. I cannot believe they are doing this to me. And a little voice in my head said, imagine what he went through. Imagine what your daughter's father has been through over the last six years without you, fully taking care of your daughter. And so I realized that my back child support is my responsibility. And I, I, I took the information from the DMV and I went down there and I made a whole day of it. If you guys are involved with child support, make a whole day of it. And do not expect love and support or even respect if you are the one paying, okay? And so I went down there and, um, you know, long story short, it was a very brutal situation. And I had just gotten custody of my little boy. So mind you, I had a uh, baby who was barely walking in a stroller on a city bus. And I was at the DMV waiting hours to speak to somebody only to find out that the person on the other side of the window was really mean and had a lot of judgment towards people who owed child support, but especially a woman who owed child support. She didn't like me very much. And of course, I wanted to rebuke her in all ways, shapes, and form. And um, I was about to lose my mind because I couldn't get my driver's license back. And I took a break and I went into the bathroom to change my son. And inside of the bathroom, I got this overwhelming, calm feeling that everything is going to be okay. You just got to let it play out exactly the way it needs to play out. And I walked out of the bathroom and I came back and there was a literal angel on the other side of the window. I don't know where that, you know, what went, but she was no longer there. There was this sweet lady on the other side, and she probably thought that I was the one receiving child support when I first arrived to the window. But I said, hey, I'm back. I just had to change my son. And she says, how can I help you, honey? 
And I said, well, this is a situation. And I just broke down crying. I told her I owed all this money in child support, and I'm trying to get my life back together, and that I'm a drug addict in recovery, and I'm trying to take care of this kid and love those kids. And she said, let me see what I could do to help you. And she pulled up a piece of paper, which was some sort of a commitment that said that I would be willing to have all my paychecks docked every single week, and that I would have to pay, I don't know what it was, like 8% of what I owed that day, and moving forward, they would dock my paychecks for back pay and current pay until my child was 18 and or until I was done paying my back pay. And so I signed the crap out of that paper, and I called a bunch of friends and family and asked if I can get support on that 8%, and I would pay them back, and it happened. Would I have willingly, at nine months sober, went to child support office and said, hey, I owe $16,000 in child support. Can somebody help me here? I'd like to pay that. Probably not. I might have, well, I would have, I'm sure, in the years to come, but it wouldn't have been that early in my journey of recovery. God will make a way, but more importantly, he will make you willing because I couldn't go any further than where I was unless I did more work for him. And more work for him meant that I needed to continue to clean up my side of the street because I had done a lot of wreckage in my past. Moving forward about the child support thing, the funny story about that before I move on to my other stories is that, you know, I finally ended up getting custody of my little boy back. I was fully taking care of him now. I had all charges closed. I now had a car. I now had a driver's license. I now had a job. My life began to look better. And then, you know, January comes around and it's tax season and you're like, yes, I get a break. Finally, I'm going to get that earned income credit from my tax, from my kid tax and, and yada, yada. You know, back then it was like $1,500. That's a big deal. And I just, I'm so happy. I go down to Liberty tax. I file it all legally and, um, I'm waiting you know, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and finally I get a little piece of paper in the mail that says something along the lines of, hey there, we diverted your check. Really sorry to say this, but um, you owe the IRS money. Apparently you uh, gave them some information back in 2000 and such and such and uh, now you owe us. So we're taking that check. Have a nice day. And I was like, mother, babe, I can't believe it. How did the IRS... They're balling. What do they need my money for? And I still owed them more than 1500 They took that, and then I was going to owe them another couple hundred bucks. I was pissed. But then there was a little voice in the back of my head that says, you're now a productive member of society. <laughs> now you don't owe the IRS. Thank God for tax income returns, because you would have probably never paid that crap. God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. He makes us willing. Next year comes January. Woo! Thank God I paid that IRS last year. Can't wait to get my income tax return. Go down to Liberty. I got a friend over there. Did everything legal. Couldn't wait to get my income tax check. I could really use it. Fix my car. You know, do whatever it is that we do with tax returns. Waiting, waiting, 
get another little slippy poo in the mail. I run out there. I'm like, oh, my God, my check is here. Opened it up. And it says, hey there, really sorry to tell you, but we diverted your check. It's going directly into your debt with the child support office. All of it. What the? Babe, are you kidding me? I'm a productive member of society. I am a mom. I'm taking care of this little boy. I'm paying every single week on my child support, including what I owe. I was really upset. Come to find out, they're going to be taking your income tax check every single year until you owe zero dollars. I was like, are you kidding me? At this point in time, my daughter's 11, 12. Do you know it took me all the way till she was 18 to pay off my debt? But the month, the exact month my daughter turned 18, I paid off my debt, and well, she turned 18. <laughs> And of course, she's my daughter, so she continues to be part of my responsibility. But see, God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. If we do not become willing, if you continue to do the work and you stay in alignment with the few simple rules, God is going to make it happen for you. It's just going to happen. So here's another really cool couple stories. I was like working for an air conditioning company, running the office, comfortable. Long story short, somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, Bobby, we know that you are considered an alumni for this program called Susan B. Anthony Recovery Center for Women and Children, and we heard you're doing really great in your recovery and that you got custody of your son back, and you seem to be doing great in the recovery community. We were interested in knowing if you would be open to working here. And I said, me? Work there? Doing what? Oh, you know, it's this thing called a peer specialist and a case manager. You'll be helping women get custody of their children back in the court system. Wow, really? That seems like very appropriate for my life. All right, I'll I'll consider that. I took the job. They make you do a level two background screening, you know, get your fingerprints done, all these things get ran on you just to make sure you're a decent person because you're going to be working with a sensitive population and children. And I thought for sure nothing was wrong. I mean, yeah, sure, I've been arrested, and, you know, we've all done things, but nothing that serious. Long story short, I finally got the phone call on why it was taking so long. Hey, Miss Bobby, um, we uh, found uh, 10 felony warrant charges on you. Um, They're out of another county, but, yeah, you've got some felony charges. I mean, they're open. They've been looking for you for over a decade. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Golly, don't they have anything better to do? (laughs) Like, what did I do? (sighs) Apparently, I was dining and dashing for a long time all over the county in Palm Beach somewhere in a blackout many, many years. And they accumulated a bunch of them on me. So I ended up calling my friend who happened to be a lawyer and a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she went to the courthouse with me, and I surrendered to the judge. And... He took a liking to me and my story, and he withheld adjudication, turned them all into misdemeanors, slapped a big, gigantic fine on me, and called it a day. I was able to walk out of there with a piece of paper that I was able to bring to the Level 2 background screening place and get that job, and I was hired. I began working there just a few weeks later, but if I had not even tried to attempt to progress in my life and move forward with my ambitions, I would have never been able to do what I did in that courthouse on that day. God was doing for me what I could not do for myself, and he will continue to do that. 
so here I am, and I'm, I'm working with this job, and I decided to go into the field of addiction and mental illness, right? That's what we all do. And um, I ended up getting some free education to a course so I could become a certified addiction counselor, in which I did, and I was able to secure that test and pass, and I became certified addiction counselor. And I was doing a lot of really good work at the Susan B. Anthony Recovery Center, and I started to do work um, countywide in Broward County on different levels. And things were doing really good, things were great, but you know, at some point, something had told me that I was not going to go very far with just having a being a certified addiction counselor. I needed to go and get a higher education. So I went to Broward College because I'm sure they'd love to have me. And I said, hey, I would like to get a degree here at this college. And they said, yeah, sure, we'll take you, fill out this application, yada, yada. So I did so. And um, I went on FAFSA because I needed money. I was barely making ends meet. And I was denied for FAFSA income. And I didn't know why. And so I called. And then first and foremost, um, Broward College had diverted it because they had said I owed the money. I said, I owe you money. They said, yeah, we gave you a bunch of money for a bunch of things and you never came to class and like sold your books to the corner store. How do you know that? I don't even remember that. And so I was like, all right, whatever. Here, take the money back. And so... Um, moving forward and yada, 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 and then I was kicked back again, and it was because I owed the government a bunch of money because they gave me a bunch of things called grants for school, and these grants, you have to have a certain GPA and yada, 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 yada. Well, of course, I always enrolled in school, got that cash money, and then took the books and returned them, and you know, I did what I did with that, and I was like, um, I gotta pay that back too? Come on. And you know what I was thinking at this time, and I, and I think this is a good message for anybody listening, is that I used to always, I was told in early recovery that if you are not in God's will, you're always gonna run your head into the wall over and over and over and over and over again. So I was like, ah, this schooling thing, this education thing, this isn't for me, it's not in God's will. But sometimes, when you're walking in God's will, he sets you up for long-term sustainability in your recovery. And he knows that there is roadblocks in which you will not meet unless you're on this path. I also do believe that there is the disease of addiction, a.k.a. Satan, devil, the darkness, whatever you want to call him, that as long as you are always trying to seek and do God's will, he will always be prepared to devour and literally destroy you. So if you're moving in the right direction, trust and believe it better not be too easy. Nothing outside of my comfort zone looks good to me. I'll stay right here. Outside of the comfort zone is called work. It's hard. It's tedious. But when we overcome it, it becomes our strength, our power, our story, our confidence. Our, a.k.a. relationship with God gets better. So long story short, I ended up going and I, I did that. And I was able to go back to school and it was a mission to get into that school. It was a mission and, um, you know, I don't know, maybe around 2014, 2015, I was renting and I said, you know, this enough is enough. Like, I'm going to go buy a house and I'm going to get set up with me and my kid. And, you know, I moved forward uh, with that process. And, of course, what happened? I ran into a lot of stumbling blocks. I found out that I had um, 
can't think of the word. I, I like got into a really bad car accident, and I left that person's vehicle damaged. They were okay. The car was damaged. It was a work car. That money that I owe goes somewhere, and it's what's it called? Judgments. Yes, judgments. Thank you. We had I had a bunch of judgments on me. The heck that was. Well, that affects you when you're trying to get a first-time buyer's program. And I had to take a look at that, and I had to peel back that onion and, and work through those things. And um, then, like, my credit just wasn't as good as it should have been. It could have been better in order to qualify for a house. And so at that point in time in my life, I had to start thinking about what, what is it that I need to do to increase the quality of my credit so that I can be a homeowner and I had to start to do those things. And you know what happens is, as a result of that, I learned about the system. I learned about what it's like to have good credit. I learned what it's like to be a productive member of society, which, by the way, was an indirect amends to many in this community, not people per se, but society as a whole. You know, I'd love to come up here and I'd give you these mind-blowing amends that I've had with my loved ones. But the truth is, there's literally no words or situations that can fix the damage that I have done to my children and to my loved ones. You know what I do? It's this simple. I stay sober. I continue to progress in my relationship with God because without him, I am nothing. I have four children. My oldest will be 25 years old this year. My second oldest just turned 19 on Monday. My third oldest turned 15 two weeks ago. And I have a little one that never has ever seen me drink, doesn't know anything about my past. What can I do for these, these kids, especially my two oldest? My oldest got hurt the worst. She suffers from what we like to call adult child of an alcoholic syndrome. She's got codependency issues, depression, anxiety, fear of abandonment. It makes me mad sometimes. It makes me mad at her if you really want to be honest, because I'm just like 15 years sober, like let's get moving on past this already. What can I do to amend this relationship? I could start by not saying that. I could start by getting myself more help. The trauma that I have experienced is going to impact my relationship with my children. I have to suit up and show up and continue to do better. Answer the phone when they call. I wish I could tell you that money solves problems. It solves nothing when it comes to your children. My 19-year-old didn't get to know me at all until, I don't know, four years ago. Me and my husband went up and visited her in 2018-19. I spent a whole week with her in Georgia. It was amazing. She's just like me. She looks just like me. I'd be talking to her and think this weird, bizarre feeling that I was looking in the mirror. I didn't raise her. Somebody else did that I don't know in another state. After that one week, we bonded. I got to spend another week with her up there a couple of years after that. 
July, she came and she stayed, or July of 2020, 2020? No, 2021, she stayed a week with me at my house. And then she just stayed a week with me, I don't know, I'm losing time, this year. She was here this year for a whole week with me. She is my child. I didn't raise her. Somebody took her out of my arms and said, you'll never see her again. And now she is a full part of my life. I talk to her all the time. That's what I could do. Suit up and show up and be the best damn mom that I can be without enabling, without parenting with guilt, because that doesn't help anybody ever. My mom got hurt worse than anybody. I hate to even think about it, but my mother suffered from a breakdown in 2011. She was diagnosed with a disassociative um, personality issue. And I don't know if anybody knows about that, but that is a result of trauma. It is a trauma response that keeps her protected. Unfortunately, she thinks and says, and she probably doesn't think it, she probably knows it, but um, she lost a couple of really good loved ones, including her mom and dad, and something severe happened in her relationship all in a three-year period, and that is what she identifies as what this caused. But when I now, in the last year specifically, and I have to thank my husband for this, my husband lost both of his parents to drug overdoses just recently, both of them. And um, my husband continually tells me, babe, you got to get close to your mom. All these years, you're not close to her. You need to get close to your mom. So I've been getting closer and closer and closer to her lately. And the more I get close, the more I really realize that when she disassociates, it has something to do with the past of my addiction. And I don't put blame on myself. I'm not going out here with a bat to beat myself up. But recognition is important because I need to be there for my mother. She had a very difficult time this week about a loved one who has mental illness and we found out has been hoarding like bad. And my mother had a nervous breakdown about this. And um, I said, Mom, me and Rich are going to help you. And she was shocked. She said, you guys are going to help me? I said, of course. She said, I would have never asked. I said, well, I'm glad we ended up having this conversation because we would love to, because you're not only my mom, you're Rich's mom too, and we love you. And my husband went there Saturday and spent the entire day dumping out this woman's stuff, and um, I got to spend the entire day with her on Wednesday cleaning up the rest of the apartment, and uh, that's what you do. You don't say, hey, Mom, sorry about everything that happened in my addiction. Yeah, I'll make it up to you. You just keep showing up no matter what. I do think it's important to have a conversation and talk about the harms that were done so we can clear the air so that you can recognize that I recognize that I was the way I was. I had an uh, opportunity to talk to my grandmother before she died, and it was very simple. I just said, Grandma, I did some inventory work with my sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I recognized that I had caused a lot of harm through the years of my addiction. She said, say no more. All I ever wanted you to do is be a good mom to your children. She said, you're working on that now. She ended up passing away um, shortly after that. And, you know, as the years have passed, I've realized the harm that I really did cause my grandmother. You know, 
I didn't know these things until God put these people in my life. Have you ever spent time with somebody who is constantly negative? God puts these people in my life. I mean, they don't have anything positive to say ever. You know, it's this hurts, that hurts, that person wronged me, this person wronged me. I'm a victim of the world in all ways, shapes, or form. I was that person with my grandmother all the time. You know, those are the types of things that you can discover later on in your journey of recovery. You're sitting down and you're having dinner and a conversation comes up and you can say something like, you know, I met somebody the other day that reminded me of me and it made me realize what torture you must have been through. Living and breathing the same oxygen as my negative ass. People really love to hear that you finally see how bad it truly was. They just need the validation. But the most important thing I could say about this topic is suiting up and showing up. Sobriety has got to be our number one priority. With sobriety, God will continue to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Thank you. Inspirational indeed. Thank you. Let's thank our speaker one more time, please. And it's time for Mark with the Secretary's Report. Hey, guys. I'm Mark. I'm Mark. I'm your... There we go. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. I don't want to lose this. Um, in keeping with our seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going to go around. Uh, what's up with QR code? Uh, if anyone wants to donate electronically, there's a QR code on the back table there. You can just scan that and donate that way. If you don't have cash, we'd love that. Um, while the baskets are going around... I've asked Freddie to come up here and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Here's Fred. I'm Freddie. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the four to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous of Alcoholics who came to A and really tried. Fifty percent of them got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room tonight? 
More importantly, does anyone in the group or the meeting need a sponsor? We have one. Hi. How are you? What's your name? Barbara. Barbara needs a sponsor. If Ladies, if you want to get with her after the meeting, we'd love that. Welcome, Barbara. Anyone else? No. Okay. Um, last meeting of the month is tonight, right? Yes? It's the last meeting of the month. Look at that. Um, <laughs> does anyone want to just make a... I'm dropping stuff. Does anyone want to make a quick notation or a recognition of their... Anyone celebrating this month? Let me make it easy. In the month of May. We have a couple back there. Hey. What do you, hey, Renan. Congrats. Any other May sobriety birthdays? No. Okay. Congrats to the celebrant. Couple quick announcements since we were announcement free the last couple weeks. Uh, Broward County Intergroup, of course, um, open Saturday. It's where you go for big books, medallions, other AA literature. Please visit them at your leisure. Next. BCIC, these are for, uh, this is a committee that brings outside meetings to people that can't get to meetings like us, jails, institutions, stuff like that. Um, if anyone's interested in joining, there's pamphlets in the back, there's more info up there. Next. <laughs> like that, Andrew. Uh, plenty of volunteer opportunities going around in Broward County, Snyder Park. The convention, I thought, was over. So, next. Founders Day Picnic 2022. You, you don't want to miss this one. This, this is coming up in next Sunday. You, you want to be there. Meeting at 2 p.m., rain or shine, next. Alcoholics and God, that's us. We have... Bobby for a couple more sessions, then we have Marion M. from Boca Raton. The W flipped up to an M, so she will be doing three weeks with us, right? And we're happy to have her. She's going to do three evening series the last three, months, last three weeks in June. And then, of course, we meet here every Monday night on the third floor of the building. Joe and Charlie style big book uh, workshop where the big book comes alive. We have a couple members here tonight. Please join us. Fellowship 630, workshop at 715. Uh, there's some more announcements on the back table. There's a men's retreat going on. I don't know exactly when, but there's flyers back there for that. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, big book dictionaries for sale back there. We meet here every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15. We ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Just a reminder that we have this session and all previous sessions on a podcast at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. Like you said, 7.15. It's upstairs on the third floor. And we have cookies. 
those who want to wish the speaker good work tonight, please meet down here in the center aisle. Otherwise, we'll do the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, that deliver us from evil, but the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Monday or Thursday, God
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See the light 
blessings when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Yeah.